Welcome back to Now, the podcast celebrating the variously compiled world of pop. In each episode, a variety of fabulous guests and I explore favourite compilation albums, as well as considering how these collections shaped pop culture and now fondly stand as time captures for our own musical and life milestones. I hope that you will enjoy the pop memories in this episode. Please follow the show through your favourite podcast provider and join in with me, Ian, on the Pop Rambler Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Joining me for this episode is culture journalist and broadcaster Jude Rogers. Jude has written about music officially since 2003, when she started work at the wonderful and much-missed Word magazine, sitting alongside Smash Out's legends Mark Ellen and David Hetworth. Unofficially, she started in 1993, when she was doing work experience at the Clinically Star in South Wales, when she was in charge of picking up the top 40 from Woolworths every Saturday morning and typing it up. Jude went freelance in 2008 and now writes for The Guardian, Observer, The Quietus and lots of other magazines and titles about music, culture and much more. In 2021, she also made a four-part series, A Life in Music, for Radio 4, which is still up on the iPlayer and is utterly fabulous. Her first book, a memoir, The Sound of Being Human, How Music Shapes Our Lives, comes out on the 28th of April this year. Jude, welcome back to now. Thank you very much. I'm very excited because I'm a big fan. I absolutely love it. It's my thing. It's great. As they used to say in another sadly departed monthly magazine, how the devil are you? I am I am very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm grand, thanks. Um, yeah, it's uh, February in Wales and um, I'm uh, very much looking forward to an evening talking about music from uh, when I was 10. <laughs> Oh, fabulous, fabulous. As, as I say, it's superb to have you on board. But uh, before we start then, before we head back and reminisce about the wonders of pop music, the new book, The Sound of Being Human, has been described as moving and absorbing and a candid and beautiful read, said Stuart McConey. How, how, how did the book idea come about? I think it's kind of been bubbling around in my head for years, but hadn't really taken shape. It came about really, I think it was just after Mark Hollis died. I wrote a piece about Mark Hollis for The Guardian. The night after, well, I found out at like seven o'clock in the evening that he died from my editor calling me up and I wrote a piece that night and I it went online the next day. And it was very personal, um, but also it was trying to convey what music means to people. And it wasn't the first piece I've written like that, but it seemed to really strike a chord with a lot of people. And just I remember later that week, or maybe even that day, just thinking... I need to write a book. This is the book I don't, I don't want to write about songs that have helped shape my life and have had an effect on me. And um, in that piece, I wrote a lot about the track April the 5th off the third Talk Talk album, The Colour of Spring. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to write a book that follows the shape of someone's life um, between the songs that first affect us when we're really, really little to songs later in life. And I'd also been really interested for years about, um, you know, why do songs propel us like time machines back through history to specific scenes and specific moments. Um, you know, why is it that this certain song really, really helped me when I just had a baby and I was having a bit of a difficult time? You know, why is it that dancing to a s- songs with people makes us feel really close to them? You know, all these questions that any music fan asks themselves. So I went about basically asking lots of clever people that know more about this stuff than me, <laughs> lots of neuroscientists, um, you know, bits of anthropology and sociology. You know, I'm no expert, so I'm relying on books and reading and lots of interviews. The first part of the book is childhood and adolescence, really. You know, that's the kind of period that sort of gels with 
the now albums in my head obviously mm. the second half you know doesn't it kind of it goes through from falling in love my poor husband had to read that chapter I was there going please write this chapter <laughs> <laughs> I, I do I say nice things about you but I do mention some other people in the past you know I know he'd be fine <laughs> with it but it was kind of quite funny him reading that and yeah it just goes through my life you know bits about my life as a journalist as a parent it's just me trying to dig a little bit deeper into why music is this human thing and that's why I called it the sound of being human because music is the sound of being human it's about this magical thing that kind of we can have for ourselves or it can join us with other people um it's about you know the basis of relationships friendships connections it's personal but it's also universal I just realised I've said that I'm, I'm quoting somebody who's uh, I've just had a quote from from my book in the last couple of weeks, which is very exciting. <laughs> Ian Rankin really likes it, which is the most exciting thing ever. I'll, I'm just going to pop all the copies now because Ian Rankin likes it, and I'm happy. But um, I really wanted to kind of click with all kinds of music fans as well. You know, it could be somebody who likes really obscure stuff. It could be somebody who likes the cheesiest pop ever. And it's very, very much a book which is about all that stuff. I've got one chapter that has this French drone composer, Eliane Rodigue, like on one page and literally on the next page, I have Boney M and that's exactly the way it should be. <laughs> By far the best book cover I have seen all year. Oh. It's just oh, fabulous. Thank you. Oh, when I got that through from the publishers last year as a suggestion, yeah, my agent just said, just called me and said, look at your email now, look at your email now, look at your email now. <laughs> and um, we were just bowled over, you know, um, yeah, that's um, the, the well, the designer at um, White Rabbit, which is the imprint of Orion that I'm on, which is a great, it's a great little imprint. It's got loads of great music books. Um, um, run by a guy called Lee Brackstone. He used to be, he used to run the music imprint of Faber, and they've been really lovely and encouraging. And yeah, they've, they've got some great stuff coming out. Loads of women this year as well, which is nice mm. as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's not me. I think people people have said, is that, is that you? There's a little girl holding a ukulele. I'm in a sort of really punk rock position with this lovely colours over it. But uh, it's not me. I was never that cool. But it's a great <laughs> image. There's lots of pictures of me in the final book, though. I warn you all now. Oh, fabulous. Various states of going mad to music, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the first song I remember is Super Trooper. This, this is basically my book now. I'm going to tell you about <laughs> so um, um, ABBA were big for me earlier on. And there's lots that's not in the book as well, obviously, because you can't put everything in the book. I haven't mentioned my love of Black Lace. I had Party Party on cassette. My first album I had was actually a Sooty album, Supersonic Sooty Spug, was Spug Sooty Gun to the Moon, um, which had songs on it. So that counts as an album. Yeah, Black Lace I loved. Oh, Black Lace make me feel really ill now. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I had, well, The Bangles, Different Light on cassette. I remember Five Star I really liked. Um, my uncle and auntie bought me Whitney Houston's Whitney for Christmas on vinyl mm. for 1987. <gasps> I didn't actually buy music until a bit later, but I just used to watch telly and listen to the radio. And, um, you know, I just wanted to buy, spend money on magazines. I just wanted to spend money on smash hits and sweets. <laughs> Do you know what, actually, in some ways, if you had the radio and smash hits growing up, you didn't really actually need to buy music because you could get everything from that. Yeah. And I think I watched a lot of um, Saturday morning kids telly and you used to get a lot of stuff on that. And then through to the early nineties, you know, it was the chart show every Saturday. That was lots of recording that, um, making endless video compilations with my little brother's. I just loved loads of pop. I loved Aha. You know, I had a, I had a brosette phase, which I, um, I didn't want to kind of go into too much detail about the boy band thing in the book, because I feel like that's a story that 
it's kind of expected of female journalists of a certain age. And I, I thought there's some more interesting stuff to talk about Nena Cherry, who, um, mm. but yeah, the kind of my early chapters of the book, I have, well, three big artists for me, Adamant, uh, specifically from the Ads and the Ants period. Um, Wham, loved Wham. Freedom by Wham is still in my top five. It's the song I put on to cheer myself up and it works instantly. And, you know, so that's tied to memory. I'm always fascinated by how these things are tied to people and memories and how that's part of your love for them too. And Buffalo Stance by Nana Cherry. Those are three songs I knew when I was putting the book together. I need to write about these because they're so important to me. (laughs) It's been really interesting the last couple of years putting this book together around the top of the Pops reruns on BBC4. My husband and I used to watch them every Friday night anyway, but later on we used to, you know, have our dinner and sit down and watch them a bit later. Since the beginning of, you know, the pandemic, we've been in a sort of WhatsApp group with old friends. Um, mm. It's something quite amazing when you're just watching it randomly week by week with our friends and reliving your childhood. Something will come on. I remember getting away with it by electronics suddenly coming on. It was like, oh my God. And I didn't remember it coming on at the time, but that is one of my favourite songs. And just the thrill of something, you know, next to something really crap appearing on top of the pops. Um, The the episode that I knew Nella Cherry would be on, you know, because I'd looked this up. I said, I I knew it was just for Christmas and I, I remembered it so well. It was between Kim Wilde and Kylie Minogue, which, you know, for me is just heaven, you know, because I loved them as well then. Although Nena was a very different figure, a very different female role model. I find it fascinating how, you know, these things just take us back to a time. And there's lots, so many neuroscientists write about this stuff. But this one woman, Kath Loveday, who I interviewed in the book a couple of times, because she's so brilliant, talks about why this is and how every memory we have kind of, you know, the music is connected to everything else. So when the song plays this network fires up again and mm. so it's everything else is attached to it um we do rewrite memories and we do, you know they do change a little bit and we shouldn't necessarily always 100% trust them but what's amazing is the song is the same in some in in many respects you know it's the song i heard in 1984 when i first heard wham in the school changing room in 1984 was the same song i hear now mm. obviously i have changed and the meanings of that song have changed and Little bits of that song will leap out to me more than others. The lyrics meant nothing to me then. Um, yeah, I don't really care about the lyrics. It's the kind of rush of the song. Um, a song is this solid, this thing you can hang on to. And I love that. It's not just about nostalgia either. You know, it could be, you know, I feel a bit daft sometimes thinking, oh, you know, every Friday night I'm a 43-year-old woman. Me and my 45-year-old husband sitting down to watch, you know, Top of the Pops in 1992. If you feel... Oh, I'm just, you know, wallowing in nostalgia. But actually, songs are ways of connecting you with people. So, But it's how you make connections to the present, I think, for me. Yeah. It's the journey that we've come through and that yeah. these songs have been with us all the way through. How about compilation albums then? Um, now 11 was my first one. And when you had the episode with Mark Wood way back when, I know Mark. I've known Mark for a few years, kind of through his nightclub Ducky in London and mm. music industry stuff, because he used to work, for, well, works with, you know, doing back catalogue campaigns. And that, that was just amazing. So that album, you know, I can, this is going to make me sound really like an old fuddy daddy, but um, the idea of listening to a record, knowing what song comes next. Yeah. You know, I'm now 11 now. There's still odd songs that a song will play, and I'll expect the next song with now 11 yeah. to come. Oh, absolutely. On. Yeah. I had that for my birthday um, in April 88. So that was my first now record. And it was cassette. Yeah. It was, you know, when you used to have the double cassettes and the 
it was really hard to get the kind of concertina back in the double cassette box. I just loved that. And, you know, that is the one that was the start of me getting into new things. I was so excited to hear Mark talking about Side 4, which had the house music stuff. That was my introduction to house music. I remember being, oh, house arrest by crush and all that stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was my first one. Um, my mum used to have a 1960s compilation tape in the car, which I think she got off, um, cutting off edges off the Daily Mirror or something like that. Um, it had a hippie, hippie shake in it, I remember. But I had my dad's um, old stuff to look through a little bit. One of the pivots of the book is um, my dad died when I was little, like in, in 1984 when I was five, nearly six. He made compilations off the radio, I found out years later. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, he'd had some other compilations knocking about. He has an Irish folk one, which my mum informed me about. But um, after Now 11, it was Now albums. I was never a hits girl. I was always no. Now. I was talking to my husband about this last night because he was, and he revealed that the, his favourite Now album. I said, I don't think it's a Now album. And we looked up and it was Hits 1. I said, oh, you still no. got it. <laughs> that might be worth something. But no, um, it was Now. It was it was partly to do with the design as well. I loved the covers and, well, the, the cover of this um, one um, we're talking about today is one I love. You know, through, through 88, I think they're great. <laughs> they just sort of sum up the weirdness of the late 80s. <laughs> Sabrina and the number one from the Time Lords. The number one from Essex Express. The number one from Glenn Madeira, Salt and Pepper, Push It. Push it real good. And the number one splash hit from Wet Wet Wet. All these and more from the coolest album around. Now that's what I call music 12. Let's go straight to the summer of 1988 because you've, you've kind of led in there beautifully, Jude. And um, <laughs> you have chosen now 12. What was life like for you in the summer of 88? So I was 10. We went on holiday to Menorca. Package holiday to Menorca. It's very exciting. You know, so in the great summer, Balearic summer of love, I was in the Balearic Islands, you know, reading my smash hits. No, no, it was, can't work out um, whether it was just before or just after because I bought my first smash hits in August 88. Mm. So this album came out in July 88. So this this summer was a big one for me. Yeah. I got my first smash hits that summer, which completely changed my life and made me want to be a music journalist. (laughs) (laughs) But I was just about to go into the last year of primary school. My mum had a new boyfriend, well, relatively new boyfriend, and he came on holiday with us. He was part of the family. And so it was a kind of big time of transition. And I liked him, but obviously, and I still love him to bits. He is dad. You know, he's mm. he's another dad to me. I call him dad and I've called him dad for many years. But um, a strange time, I guess. And I, I wonder if I found pop music to be a sort of place of comfort and solace. And, and I just got really obsessed with smash hits and the Now records around that time, you know getting lost in the songs and, you know, what was great about um, the Now albums, then they were the most wildly varied things ever in some respects, but, you know, they did give you little entry points to lots of different genres. When when you're 10, that's amazing, you know. Yeah, so I was 10 and I was starting to, you know, listen to songs by certain male singers and start feeling a bit strange, <laughs> not really understanding <laughs> what was going on. I had had a bit of a bros thing earlier that that year. I think I was still in the bros thing actually in the summer. Yeah, that was around maybe drop the boy or um, I owe you nothing was number mm. one. Last. Oh yeah, I love bros. So yeah, but I wasn't you know resourceful enough to be a bros set really. <laughs> I found I found pop music a bit you know I didn't really want to vocalize how much I loved it. I was a bit I knew it was something that was sort of 
it was something slightly illicit. I don't, yeah. I don't, it's, it's, it's quite weird. There's quite a bit of work involved with Filipino brosette oh. because, you, you know, you needed the Doc Martens, you needed a certain type of jeans, you needed the, was it the Grolsch bottle tops? Yeah, or watches. Sh- I do yeah. I do remember in my room trying to sellotape a watch onto the, my black school shoes, which didn't have the same <laughs> <laughs> look. But yeah, the Grolsch bottle tops, you know... Yeah, I, I would, you know, I wouldn't have uh, run away to London to oh, find, no. you know, hang out outside their mum's door. But you know, I was, I'm saying all of these girls who would just like <laughs> hang outside their houses because they had all of that, and their mum would be there going, "Go away!" <laughs> and of course, we'll whisper it. Bros were on the hits album; they were on hit eight. They so, were, yeah. So we'll yeah, just yeah. we'll just move on from that. So <laughs> <laughs> now twelve. It was released. It was released on the eleventh of July. So we're right back in the middle of summer. Uh, it was number one for five weeks. But this cover. I mean, it's just perfect. It's just, it's summertime, isn't it? Is it the best now album cover ever? It's one of my favourites. I have to say, I like 11 and 13 as well. Mm. But 13 was the one Pete Pafidis did, doesn't it? Yeah, so, so also actually... Also a great one. We are completing the 1988 trilogy here, Jude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, to be with Pete and Mark, I um, <laughs> feel very, very privileged because they're both absolutely wonderful. Yeah, this is, it's a swimming pool with now in beach balls. That's what I call music is on. A yellow, it's a float, I think, isn't it? Or is it a float. Yeah. And then, and then we've you've got, got the, the water. Yeah. 12 on the bottom of the pool, I think. I think when you're 10 as well, that's what you want to be. It's, like, it's summer and it looks hot, even if it's not, it doesn't look like it's in the Lido in the bottom of your village. You know, it looks like it's abroad. I have to say, I think now 11 probably slightly pips it for the design because it's the skyscraper and the clouds. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you didn't get many skyscrapers in the small village I was from west of Swansea you know it was somewhere else but yeah I guess now 12 is the same isn't it it's distant climbs if you're going to follow through 1988 we had that lovely skyscraper which you're right is just so aspirational and then you've got 12 you've got that and then by 13 it's a rocket we have taken off we we are in space the smash hits that came out at the time of this album there's an advert and the tagline says the greatest pool of current hits around very nice I was trying to find out on Twitter about the design company for them because I thought I'd love to know who made them. And it was a company called Quick on the Draw. And I did a little bit, uh, you know, not much digging, I have to say, today (laughs) when I was having my lunch um, and asked Twitter and nobody answered. Um, (laughs) You know, if that's kind of on your CV, you know, I designed the Now album. That would be pretty good. And if that person is out there, if that person is listening, please let us know. Please let me know because I would buy you a pint. Challenge accepted. Quick on the draw. <laughs> uh, do you know what? Mark Wood must know. Oh, he must actually. He must know. Oh, Mark Wood knows everybody. Mark. So we're on cassette one side one. Wet, wet, wet. This was from a charity album. Yeah, it was for Childline, wasn't it? Was, it? it was for Childline. It was an album called Sergeant Pepper and You My Father. And it was actually a double A side. A double A side, kids. What does that even mean anymore? Uh, which meant that um, Billy Bragg was on the other side doing "She's Leaving Home." Yeah, um, and it was a it was a big number one, number one for four weeks. I read a really good blog about this. Um, Tom, who does the Freaky Trigger website, who's brilliant. He wrote something really interesting about it, which is um, lots of people cover it. They don't have the sort of humility and vulnerability that the lyric needs. You know, it's going to, you know, he's, he said, you know, Ringo singing, I'll get by with it off my friends. He sounds nervous and unsure and he sounds like Ringo. Mm. Whereas you have Marty Pella going, I get by, you know, he's, he, no. he, he doesn't need his friends, does he? No. You know, but they were huge at this point. I was not a Wet West Wet fan because no. they weren't bros. You know, it was that, you know, it was the Blur versus Oasis, if you were 10. You know, I remember it was a charity single and 
Childline, that was a massive mm. deal back then. And just around the debate so much, I remember there were adverts and smash hits as well, you know. That's and right. um, but yeah, in, ter- in terms of a successful cover, yeah, I guess it makes me a bit sad because I've been watching the Top of the Pops repeat recently, as I was saying, and um, you know, it's been Good Good Night Girl. Oh, I hate that song. Oh, oh I no. really hate it. And um, and Love is All Around. Don't start me on Love is All Around because <laughs> I could bore on about how much I hate that cover for literally decades. Yeah. Um, I'm sad they don't have um, Billy doing She's Leaving Home because that's quite lovely, really. Yeah, that could have gone on somewhere else on the album, actually. That, that would have been quite nice if they'd popped that maybe somewhere else. I was actually looking back on the charity album. It was an NME-linked album as well. I haven't heard any of this for a long, long time, but Being for the Benefit of Mr Kite by Frank Sidebottom. Oh, wow. Surely that's <laughs> worth a revisit, folks. And you've got The Fall doing A Day in the Life, which I can only, I'm only imagining that in my head. Oh, my goodness. I could have remembered it was from an album, but I hadn't looked it up beforehand. God, I really want to hear that. It's got the wedding present doing Getting Better with Amelia Fletcher, as she says, quickly doing uh, some, uh, that's very indie. When I'm 64 by the Courtly Pine Quartet. Oh, it's varied, isn't it? Yeah. Why did you get this? <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and find this, I think, to yeah. be honest. But you can understand why they released Wet Wet Wet, though, obviously, to kind of push the album and get the money and sales and stuff like that for the charity. Oh, absolutely. And it's, we're still in that kind of 80s British soul, sophistipop kind of, you know, mode, aren't we? And yeah. um, So we've got Circle in the Sand by Belinda Carlisle. Oh, um, great one. This is a good summary kind of song as well. Thomas Dobby's on keyboards. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. And there's another Thomas Dobby story coming up later on. Found out 1988 was the only year of the 80s when there was no Madonna singles released. Yeah. I remember when I was reading Smashes and they'd be like, where's Madonna? You know, it seemed like she was away for a long time. Mm. She was, I remember she was in New York. She was doing something, some theatre thing. Speed the Plough, was it? David oh, Bennett, that's right. It was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Belinda Carlisle, she was massive. It, it was interesting looking at this today because I remembered um, it was so classy and she was so grown up and she seemed like somebody to aspire towards. You know, Heaven was a place on earth. It's this great big mm. ballad and... You know, I had no idea about her past with the Go-Go's at that point. I was watching the video and I was like, one minute. And it's directed by a guy called Peter Kerr, who I interviewed my book. But he ends up doing loads of stuff for R.E.M., including Man in the Moon and loads of other stuff. But um, if you look at the Circle and Sand video, it's her on the beach and lots of film hanging up everywhere with other images of a beach. And mm. it's something he uses in other R.E.M. videos. So he tried out all this arty stuff for R.E.M. on Belinda Colour. Did he do the drive video? He did the drive video, yeah. And I have a chapter in the book. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of just be wearing an advertising hoarding. <laughs> yeah, R.E.M. were my big teenage epiphany band. And yeah. I absolutely loved Michael Stipe. And I was going to run away with him and marry him, even though obviously it doesn't work on many levels. Um, <laughs> yeah, he directed the video to drive. So that's the one where Michael Stipe has been passed along, you know, right. crowds of fans and there's loads of water and stuff like that. Um, a really brilliant director. Yeah. He's from Cornwall and he started out doing stuff for Cabaret Voltaire. He's oh. a really Interesting character. Brilliant. We've got Maxi Priest and Wild World, which is obviously Cat Stevens. Yeah, and it works so well with reggae, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it sounds a bit kind of uh, gentle and tentative now. Yeah. Kind of, um, yeah, Maxi Priest, you know, Close to You is the one I love mm. from a couple of years oh, later. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, he's great. And he's just been Grammy nominated now. Has he? Yeah, he's got an, an, uh, been Grammy nominated for Best Reggae Album. Brilliant. I looked on his Twitter. I was thinking, I wonder what Maxi Priest is doing now. Oh, he's probably retired, blah, blah, blah. No, he's just had a Grammy nomination, so he's still going. And then we've got Aswad next to that. No had missed the big Aswad hit, which mm. was Don't Turn Around, which had been snaffled by those baddies over at the Hits album. So, <laughs> so, so, so that had gone. I always loved the sleeve notes in now because they always, they always told you stuff. Obviously, being 15 as I was, I didn't know that the Bay City Rollers had a song called Give a Little Love as well. <laughs> uh, it says in the sleeve notes, not the Bay City Rollers song. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was the follow-up to Don't Turn Around. And actually, as I'd have been around since the Bay City Rollers, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, and I got to number 11, which obviously might have, must have been a bit disappointing after Don't yeah. Turn Around was everywhere. I only found out today that Don't Turn Around was a Tina Turner song. So I'm kind of completely behind the times. Yeah, that is right. I, I think that song had been passed around a few people. Yes, yeah. Actually, before Aswad had said, yeah, we love that. It's very summery again, isn't it? It's got like lightness of touch yeah. or whatever, but... um, It's kind of radio-friendly yeah. reggae, which, which yeah, again, yeah. we kind of quite like that. And it sits... Sits well on side one of any now yeah. album for that kind of kind of breaks you in gently. Now, Climby Fisher, love oh. changes, open brackets, everything, close brackets. <laughs> um, this was a big song. Um, oh yeah, for Climby Fisher. Yeah, this is one of those records that confused me as a ten-year-old. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was about love and uh, Simon Climby. I had a bit of a crush on, definitely. Which is it's funny watching these things years later, you know, watching Top of the Pop and going, why do you have a crush on him? Look at his silly vest. That, that was what was cool in 1988, you know. But um, yes, it's great. And it's um, Stephen Haig producing it. I thought today, yeah. who's produced this? It's got this big sound. Mm. And he'd done True Faith the year before, Chains Love, Erasure. Great pop songs that just sound, they sound summery as well. They've got that kind of sheen about them and... They're really complete. This had been about for a bit as well, hadn't it, this song? Yeah, but, um, there was that whole thing in the 80s. And then if it didn't work, they'd take it away and remix it and chuck it through a machine and throw it back yeah. out like a few months later and eventually it would stick. And you hear it now, like we were saying earlier, that takes me straight back to a certain time. It's, in fact, this whole album is very stonewashed in my, in my memory. Oh, really? <laughs> I never had stonewashed denims, like 501s, because let's <laughs> be honest, nobody did. All my jeans probably came from Little Woods in 1988. <laughs> But if you catch up any of the videos of these, there's usually stonewashed denim, vest tops, and Clamey Fisher actually, I've got all of that in four minutes. I'm in the little bedroom in my parents' house with the get a blaster on the side, listening to this. I don't know why I'm there, but I'm there in my head. It is amazing. Mm. Just, uh, yeah, oh, it's just, this is proper, you know, in a cab at two o'clock in the morning, crying <laughs> and uh, going, this is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's my critic. If I was reviewing it, I'd be like, you know, lots of this stuff shouldn't work, but it just really, really does. You know, um, all together, it's just great. Now, next to that, Elton John. I don't want to go on with you like that. This wasn't a big hit. Do you know what? I don't have any record. You know, I was saying earlier on about <laughs> listening to Now Arms, remembering tracks after it. I can't no. remember this, though. <laughs> I couldn't remember well, this. No. It obviously didn't make a big impact on me. No, no offence to Reg, obviously. And this is, so this is mid-80s, um, so he said loads of press got married. I don't know if he's divorced again by this point. And it's, it's just coming up to the end of the 80s where he's in quite a full-on place. And it's like early 1990s where he gets clean and yeah. he sorts himself out. Star Salem John AIDS Foundation and all that stuff happens. So this is kind of like towards the end of the old period of him, really. The Elton John in 1990, it's, you know, sacrifice, you know, sacrifice. Yeah. Sacrifice. <laughs> Sa- sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yes. <laughs> 
my friends and I, when that was on top of the pops, it's like, why they why do they never play Healing Hands? I um, loved Healing Hands. Healing Hands is such a good song. Always left out. Pop never hear it. No, <laughs> it was number two in America, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I read that. That's crazy. <laughs> I was like, wow. And actually, after watching Rocket Man and reading Elton's biography as well, which obviously kind of contextualise all of this, I don't think he's got a great memory of this song either, to be honest. But uh, that yeah. book is amazing. It's, oh, it's so amazing. Fabulous. It's fabulous. I did the audiobook of that as well. That that, that was my driving book for, for for about a month or so. Was it Elton um, reading it? No. Well, he does. Oh. He reads. He reads bits of it um, th- throughout the book. But it's the actor who plays him in the film, whose name escapes me. At oh this moment. yeah, um, Taron Egerton, isn't it? Taron 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 Egerton. Yeah. He does a fantastic narration on that book. Um, can I just say? say my when, it, when my the one anecdote I can give to my mum's generation of friends because you know I'll interview people and they don't know. I could say I've been in Elton John's house and they all get very excited. Oh. And I in, I interviewed him and John Grant in his library. <sighs> My big regret is I didn't go to the bathroom in Elton John's house because that would, that this is the, what I always do as a journalist, just go for a wee. You know, don't write about what's in the toilet. You know, I know some journalists would, but just kind of go and have a look at the bathroom because yeah. it's kind of interesting. I've been in Chrissy Hines, I've had a wee in Chrissy, Chrissy Hines' bathroom. That was, you know, she's got lots of nice cleanser. Um, <laughs> and quite a little, you know, not that fancy. It's quite no. cool. But um, yeah, Elton's bathroom would have been amazing. I'm, I still regret that. It's my biggest professional regret. <laughs> Track seven is Scritti Paletti. More brackets. Oh, Patty, don't feel sorry for Loverboy. I have to say, I spent quite a lot of summer eating listening to the Provision album by Scritti Paletti. I just love this track. It's just fabulous. And it only got to number 13, UK record buyers. What were you thinking? Yeah. It's funny, Scritti Paletti. I kind of, I think I, I think I was a bit too young for them. This song is a great song, but I don't mm. have the same sort of emotional connection. You know, I can oh, yeah. imagine you were properly in adolescence at this point. I'm just not there yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I could have didn't really know Scritti Pretty until a lot later in my life. You know, and, and his um, later work, you know, his um, great album in the 2000s. Oh. Black Beer, White Bread. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, and, uh, you know, meet him. And then it's Lee. He's, yeah, he is Welsh and it's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, kind of, um, you just expect these, you know, very polished, you know, artists that Prince likes. Yeah. From Wales. Interesting because it's got Miles Davis playing trumpet on it, which is quite I a know. thing. Nuts. <laughs> it's just it's crazy. It's like, oh, hello, Miles Davis. He'd done a cover of Perfect Way. So this was obviously payback. payback. By the way, I'll come and play in your album. Um, the lyrics but, are great, aren't they? There's that line, listen to the cars call in the rain. Oh, lovely. The two albums I probably listened to a lot of in the summer of 88 was This Provision and From Langley Park to Memphis by oh, P. Yeah. Sprout. Brilliant. And, and there's a kind of similarity in the fact that I think both Green Gartside and Paddy McAloon now have beards that touch the ground. <laughs> but there's just that kind of lyrical visualisation that, you know, that they both seem to have with words. Yeah. Um, oh, God, actually, King of Rock and Roll, that is the song for of Summer 88 to me, but that's on the hit. That's it's on the hits album. And it's that, yeah, yeah it's, it's that record company politics holding up to the camera exhibit B hits eight. That's and a classic design, though, in that oh, one, isn't it? That's fabulous. a very 80s song. It's, it's a good one. It's a good one. But you've got Aztec Camera, Prefab Sprout, and Fairground Attraction. And oh. that's just that kind of summer 88 thing as well. But the line in the song that I like is, don't feel sorry for Lover Boy. You know he wants the world to love him, then goes and spoils it all for love. Now, oh, do you know what? Yeah. See, at 15, that meant nothing to me. But 
I don't know if it means anything now, but it's just such a lovely line. It's beautiful, yeah. It really it's is. Beautiful. So, finishing off side one of your cassette is Phil Collins. In the Air Tonight, Remix 88. Yeah, I was trying to work out why this came out. Um, and, you I know, don't just, know. Well, on, you know, this is Wikipedia took me here. You know, she says, ever the professional journalist. But you must <laughs> check the Wiki- Wikipedia can help. But as I used to tell my students, you know, you have to make sure you took source this stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it, there was a mix of it by a DJ um, as part of the DMC Mixing Championship Finals in London, which was kind of, and it was sort of taking off uh, as a as a thing in clubs. You, mm. So this is this big mixing championship finals attended by 3,500 worldwide DJs. You know, I love how Phil Collins is this like big thing that um, his music, how it's kind of taken on this life that is so far removed from the persona of Phil Collins that it's got this yeah. coolness and it's got this cachet in the air tonight. Is amazing. It's yeah. amazing. That video of those two young guys in America listening to it for yeah. the first time when the drums kick in is just brilliant. It's amazing. Um, I can't always think I'm not a massive fan of Phil Collins, and I think of you know his great cover of "You Can't Hurry Love." That is a good cover of "You Can't Hurry Love." I think but he did lots of good stuff against all odds. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> We on One join with listeners to Stereo Radio 2 as we go live to Dublin to join Terry Wogan at the Eurovision Song Contest. We'll flip the cassette over to side two and Hothouse Flowers. Oh, I have a really vivid memory of hearing this for the first time on the Eurovision Song Contest. Eurovision Song Contest. I used to watch it every year with my... My grandma, I think, used to kind of quite often on Saturday night be down with my grandma's who lived on the next, grandma and grandpa lived on the next road. Um, my mum would be out with her boyfriend, you know, kind of <laughs> having a break from the kids. And the, the the video to Don't Go was played in the, you know, middle bit where everybody's voting or whatever's going on. And I just remember it really kind of just grabbing me, one of, you know, feeling a bit confused about the lead singer because, you know, um, you know, I, I listen to him now and I'm like, who's, you know, he's, why did I fancy him and I didn't fancy Monte Pello? So I got the same kind of like, you know, delivery. I'm so, you know, but um, I was playing um, a playlist of these songs last night, actually, to my husband, who um, is not as much of a pop fan as me. You know, we have crossovers, um, but he was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is quite good, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, I, I like it despite myself, <laughs> but I do yeah. really remember that. I remember, oh yeah, that was the year after Johnny Logan won the original right. contest for Homie Now, and and it was the year the Celine Dion won for, for Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, and I remember her vaguely, but um, I remember the Hot House Flowers much better. And I remember thinking that the Hot House Flowers was a great name for a band. Next to that, Morrissey. So yeah, now the now arms introduced me to Morrissey. Really, yeah. You know, um, I have said Suede Head and now Eleven. Mm. That was the one. And uh, oh, so many illustrations. I was like, I don't know what that means, but it makes me feel <laughs> strange and confused. And um, yeah, I didn't really get, get really into Morrissey until I was in tertiary college or maybe in last year's comprehensive school. Mm. Um, and that was all because that was because Select magazine running this thing about the Smiths, I remember. And mm. John Peel did a show about the, uh, on the radio after the chart show on Sunday about the Smith sessions. And I remember thinking, oh, it's that guy off from the Now album. <laughs> yeah. But um, it is hard listening. I find it hard listening to Morrissey now. It's, it's... I really loved him. And I loved the Smiths and I had Smiths t-shirts on and all this stuff. I've interviewed Johnny Marr. He mm. is lovely and mm. brilliant. Obviously a massive part of the Smith's sound. And so you can sort of go, oh, it's okay. Johnny Mars reclaimed these songs. But um, there are odd songs. Every Day is Like Sunday. It's a good song. Chrissy Hine did a version of this, yeah. which is brilliant. 
listening to that helps me like this if you get my idea yeah, it's like yeah. oh right it is a good song I think if anything a nod to Stephen Street here for just the brilliant production as well oh yeah Okay, next to that is another one of these songs like Clem Fisher that was released about 15 or 16 times before it was a hit, but eventually was a hit. Mary's Prayer by Danny Wilson. Yeah, that is a song that takes me back to that time as well, actually. Again, it's one of these, you know, Scottish soul songs, but for some reason... Pop. Yeah, sophisticated pop. It's funny. I think I didn't like it at the time. I think I found it a bit strange. But kind of, I do. I do really like it now. Actually, it's just. I actually would probably prefer. There are better Danny Wilson songs. There's a song that came out on their second album called "The Ballad of Shirley MacLaine," which is just, if you haven't heard it, is amazing. No. And a song called "Never Going to Be the Same," which actually is like one of the lost ABBA songs. I've had no great desire to listen to anything else by them, but I will go and listen to that song now. Um, I was pleased to find out. um, I I knew Gary Clark had become a songwriter for Weather. Hire or whatever, mm. but he wrote Wrong Impression with Natalie Imbruglia, late 90s pop it, which is great. I'd be listening to Natalie Imbruglia a bit recently because there's um one of her early 2000s tracks is sampled on the latest Sonetian record. And That's I was right, yeah. Just remembering, you know, how I used to really like her voice and like, you know, her, yeah. you know, classy pop music. So, yeah, so Gary Clark and Natalie Imbruglia. So, yeah, Sophisty Pop continues. Um, I don't have a great deal to say about single four of the album by Johnny Hates Jazz, no. Heart of Gold. What I did find out, Mike Nachito, who was in Johnny Hates Jazz, went on to produce Love Shine a Light for Katrina and the Waves. Oh, wow. So there's another Eurovision link. What's your favourite Johnny Hates Jazz song? I know it's a limited choice. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually probably Turn Back the Clock. Yeah, me I too. I lo- I'm very fond of that. I like that one. Turn Back the Clock would be on my greatest hits of Johnny Hates Jazz. Single. <laughs> Don't call me. Next to that, though, is a song that I actually really enjoy listening back to again, which is Voice of the Beehive. Yeah, this is fantastic. I didn't know until looking up stuff for the this, this show that uh, they were based in London. Yeah. And they just, um, you know, it's funny looking at the cover. You know, I, I remember when I first, you know, encountered B-52s, I thought, oh, they must be like Voice of the Beehive because they've got the same sort of style. And obviously I think it was the other way around. This is great. A little bit like late 80s, you know, really shiny indie, but it sounds a bit like the Bangles as well. Yeah. You know, and I tell you what, you know, Really great female fronted, slightly retro but not too retro yeah. kind of um, bands. Um, just these lovely, you know, kind of um, this lovely songwriting that sort of became part of, I guess, a more polished kind of late eighties indie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this it's it's really great. This and um, yeah, kind of um, I liked. Well, I could have, I didn't dig too much on this. Just listened to it loads, but um, just finding out about um, how you know. One of them's a yoga teacher now and that kind of stuff. I'm always fascinated <laughs> by these people who've had these big hits and then just yeah. lead, lead lives and, you know, you may not know at all that they've, you know, had this success. No. The lot of day lives of stuff is great. Iron Maiden. See, this is the great democracy of now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was a bit fascinated as a kid how these bands that seem not to belong in the charts just would get into the charts and, like, go in really high and then sort of disappear you know, I didn't really, you know, I was kind of fascinated, but didn't really get it. You know, I didn't really get the mentality of a huge fan base all being mobilised yeah. in one week to buy stuff. Because <laughs> I remember this song quite well and, yeah. you know, I'm quite fond of it. You know, I'm, I'm not by any means a My Maiden expert, but I do like a bit of daft rock. And it's um, set in Tintin Abbey, which isn't far from where I live. And uh, yeah, there's this t- school teacher who just falls down this hole in the middle of Tintin Abbey. And it's just, it's just brilliant <laughs> and funny. And um, Iron Maiden are just... 
it's it's not serious, is it? It's no. kind of fun. It's, it's it's full of it's full of joy and daftness and uh, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Next to that, we've got glam metal, hair metal, um, these dreams oh. by heart. The only thing I found quite interesting, this is co-written by the man that was in tight fit. Oh my goodness, really? I got very excited because I thought it was the guy in the loincloth in tight fit, but it wasn't. It was <laughs> it was somebody else who was in the background of tight fit. He may have left before the line sleeps tonight. But yeah, co-written also with Bernie Toppin. Do you want another tight fit fact? Yes, please. Um, so um, the line sleeps tonight was either produced or possibly co-produced by Tim Freeze Green, who went That's on right. to work with Talk Talk. For another a piece I was writing about Talk Talk recently, I was reading an early interview with the amazingly I say grumpy. It's not even grumpy. Kind of like you know, firm in his ways. Mark Hollis. Mm. Um, I loved the fact that Tim Freeze Green produced this, and then he also produced. I think it was a Thomas Dolby single, and there was something else because they're three different singles. They're all completely different, and that's why I decided to work with him. I just love the idea yeah. that this guy who'd become the linchpin of Talk Talk's more experimental wing, Mark Hollis, was impressed by him because he produced Lion Sleeps and yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. love that. It's, the contrariness of it It's great But amazing. yeah, anyway It's got nothing to do with Heart who, No, and actually I, I've not really got much else To bring to that I did love Heart At this point I loved Well, I, I one track I am absolutely appalled By myself for not mentioning In the book Is Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now By Starship mm. Which I was mesmerised by When that came out That takes me back To a dance floor In a hotel in Cliftonville Near Margate On a coach trip With various old ladies From the village my mum and her then boyfriend in 1987. Um, and I remember just, it's coming on and just walking to the dance floor going, this is what it's like to be a grown-up, dancing to songs like this. But yeah, I'm just fascinated with the the bands with amazing back catalogues yeah. from the 60s and 70s doing this kind of stuff. And I do, I do love it. I yeah. do love these dreams. And I love Alone by Heart. But Barracuda by Heart and the amazing Crazy on You. Yeah, And I, um, and I was like, what? <laughs> this no. is the band that did these dreams? You what? This is very Justin Quirk, isn't it? Um, it is very Justin Quirk. Yeah. And I've never met anybody who has so many facts about heart. Uh, it's just amazing. <laughs> if you want any any info on heart, look up Justin Quirk and his amazing book, Nothing oh, But A Good brilliant. Time, all about glam metal. It's just fabulous, fabulous. Um, and then, a bit like Johnny Hates Jazz, we're on single four from the Bridge of Spies album, uh, Diminishing Chart Returns. For Tapau, I will be with you. You don't hear this much anymore. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> In the Key of Q is a podcast series showcasing gay and bi musicians from around the world. Musicians like A Natural. I'm in love with this game with Musicians like Brandon James Gwynn. I try to be good, but baby, I don't try too hard. And musicians like Q-Boy. Communities are made up from the smallest of minds. Negative reactions what I used to get all the time. In the Key of Q is available now from all good podcast feeds. Record two, side one. Okay, Doctor in the TARDIS. I remember at the time just thinking it was... I've just been really confused by it and sort of loving it but hating it at the same time. I don't think my opinions change that much. You know, I, no. kind of, I really admire the Hudson part of it. But I also think if this was what by Jive Bunny, <laughs> would you hate it? Um, well, but no, the kind of, it is, the idea of having, you know, rock and roll part one with Doctor Who is, is a great idea. And it's a mashup that adds something. Maybe all the reason I don't like it is I remember it in school discos and, yeah, yeah. you know, the kind of slightly rough 10-year-old lads, but kind of, they're still quite scary when you're 10, just kind of, you know, running and, 
pushing each other over on the dance floor of the rugby club. We used to have our school discos. Yeah. But yeah, I think if I'm honest to myself, I probably don't love this as much as I want to love it. No. I just, I think Bill Drummond's amazing. You know, KLF, oh my God, their early 90s singles, just watching the Top of the Pop stuff again. So to keep repeating the Top of the Pop stuff, but how amazing were yeah. they? They were yeah. just so amazing. This isn't quite there, but you know, it wasn't meant no. to be, was it? <laughs> and, and actually it hasn't dated very well either. I mean, obviously the Doctor Who theme is is, is immortal, as is Blockbuster by Sweet and so on, but it's very 1988. It has a Dalek voice doing Harry Enfield's <laughs> Loads of Money, which oh, is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the most 1988 thing oh, you could possibly imagine. But it was number one. And again, it's that British pop culture eating itself and throwing itself back at the fans, which, which yeah. is something that we do in this country. I wonder what Delia Derbyshire thought of it, actually. It just popped <laughs> into my head. Probably asked her at the time. But um, you know, I don't mind a novelty single that does something with a theme tune. You know, I, I'm i probably kind of just going to get thrown out of every magazine I for, but kind of, I, I love, I still love Star Trek. In. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like loving the claymation video and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just quite fun and quite silly. And I was yeah. a kid, you know, and, um, but this was just, it just feels a bit lumpen now, doesn't it? It does. It hasn't dated very well. This side here is when things start to get quite poppy. And we start, first of all, with the enigma that is Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> and bo- There's lots of brackets on this album. Boys, oh, yeah. Summertime Love. Where do we begin? Uh, well, actually, can I just start, first of all, I'm going to open up the gatefold again. Okay. And, and it says, big in France, big in Italy, big just about everywhere. <laughs> That's Sabrina, it says. Yeah, well, Sabrina, basically, if you mention Sabrina to anybody, boys especially of a certain age, you know, they'll just think of one thing and it's nipples in the video. Yeah, you know, the fact that yeah. She's, she's here in a white swimming costume and just, you know, bouncing about. I love this. It's a brilliant song. This. It's brilliant. I love this. You know, this is for me, you know, that period in like 87, 88, where suddenly there were these records from mainland Europe coming across, you know, Call Me by Spania and Voyage Voyage by Dizelis, which is oh, one of the greatest fabulous. songs of all time. I love this. I had this on today, just really loud in the car. And I was thinking, oh, it's just glorious. It's, I mean, it is, it is unadulterated, shameless pop music. And it is it's just, brilliant. and it's fabulous. And and again, doesn't date like half of these songs would. And it's got great melody. You know, da, 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 da. Oh, it's, it's, great. it's very Stockick and Waterman kind of mm. like style precision of the little hooks and the little fills. Yeah. And um... Claudia Cacetto, we're going to say, also did I Love My Radio for Taffy, which is another. Fantastic. It's just that kind of thing. Um, so pop continues Bananarama I Want You Back First time on A single for Jackie O'Sullivan Siobhan Fahey Has stepped aside uh, They actually re-recorded The vocals as well This still stands up As just this brilliant Pop song Yeah it's kind of It's funny Because there's not much To it in some respects But um, it's just um, The end of the, the chorus Of the verse Very very stocking And autumn And again Oh I, I love Banana Rama, you know, this the stock in Waterman period of Banana Rama was my period. You know, now looking back as an adult, I really love, really love the early stuff. <laughs> you know, but kind of the first record is, you know, it's great. And there's this, and you know, my favorite their songs are still Cover of Venus, which is amazing. Krill Summer is amazing. Mm. But this is when I was getting into them and on the schoolyard, I want you back. I still remember we made a dance routine up for it. And mm. One of the best nights of gigging in my life was going to see Banana Armour in Cardiff on their reunion tour with Siobhan. I went with my friend Tanya, who's my best friend in primary school, my friend Claire, who's one of my best friends in comprehensive school, my friend Katrin, who I knew in what was Tertiary College, Sixth One College, 
Uh, and my friend Jess, who's one of, a friend from back home, but has become one of my best friends now. So this see Bananarama with four really important women in my life. Even beforehand, we were just screaming and eating pizza in Cardiff, getting excited because of what this would mean. And we were in a really, we were in the St. David's Hall in Cardiff in this, which is this really steeply tiered, you know, kind of these tears looking down on the stage. And we were all standing up. And we were, it was quite scary because I, I don't mind heights, but if we'd fallen, there was a risk of us, you know, careening to our deaths. But we were all there doing the dances and doing the moves and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And it was just glorious seems like yeah here is one song that connects us all in slightly different ways you know Tanya and I literally you know we used to dance to this in the schoolyard together but I knew for everybody else we talked about the songs and we danced to them at other discos in the future you yeah. know and we all had our own little connections with each other through it and the, the Nanas were having such a brilliant time that night as well we've got one of the big number ones of the year next which is Tiffany I think we're alone now um she was 16 when this came out and 15 um, when she recorded it. It's amazing. And <laughs> and I think she'd been living in shopping malls since she was 10, basically just <laughs> going around. Do you remember watching the video for this? I don't know about yes. you, but the shopping mall thing just looked like like a foreign world to us. And the first thing I think of when I think of Tiffany is shopping malls. Shopping it malls, is. yeah. And yeah. I remember watching, you know, Stranger Things, the series on Netflix, and they're mm. in the this, this shopping malls, and I'm like, Tiffany! <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Oh, wow. And, and there she was. She had a great it? voice. You know, because she sings that so brilliantly. And it's one of those songs that when you're... When you're older, you find out it's a cover and you're like, what? You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's a real shock to the system. And obviously the original is great, but could have, um, you put this on a disco now, you know, yeah. I would happily play a, a pub disco every Friday night. I think it's quite nice. You know, I was 10 and this came out. She was like 15, 16. And the lyrics are about being young and, you know, kind of um, people telling you can't have a boyfriend and all yeah. this kind of stuff. So there was something quite lovely about this girl who's just that bit older and can do that stuff and mm. seeing her and, yeah, gosh, what her other single? She did a cover of I Saw Him Standing There, didn't she? Yeah, in the days when you could actually license out Beatles tracks to cover. Um, and she did Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and uh, I think that's on Hits 8, he says. Yeah, that's on Hits 8, next to Bross, actually, oh, <laughs> um, as well. Actually, do you know what? Quick shout out for Hits 8. Bross, I owe you nothing. Tiffany, I saw him standing there. Tale of Dane, tell it to my heart. Wow. Oh, bad. And Voyage, Voyage. That's oh, quite a God. run. Um, Royal Australia, one of the greatest songs oh, just ever fabulous. made. So there's a bit more Stock Aiken and Waterman next, um, and I, I'm actually going to put my neck out here and say I think one of the Stock Aiken Waterman's finest songs actually, "Who's Leaving Who" by Brilliant. Hazel Dean. Yeah, it's fantastic. That on the top of Pop Three Rounds was a proper like, oh my god, this is really great. Yeah, I think it's because yeah. Hazel Dean. You could have sort of remember her, and she could have didn't really fit the mold of other, you know, stocking autumn singers because no. she, you know, she looked quite cool, but she didn't look, you know, polished and glam, and she was quite kind of girl next door in a kind of fairly ordinary way. But um, yes, cracking, it's great. So, do you want some facts then about this song? Go on, please do. Okay, right. So, this was originally sung by Anne Murray the Canadian country singer, as in the snowbird, Anne Murray. Oh my God, really? Wow. It was also covered by David Hasselhoff. Oh, amazing. There is a Friday night search for you. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had to listen to that. I assume it's, you know, it's it's not very good if it's sung by David Hasselhoff. But, I, do you know, actually, I'm saying that I haven't heard it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but um, it also does say on, on Wikipedia it was produced by Jack White. I'm ho- no, no. <laughs> when he was be. three, yeah. It just can't be. I wish it was. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> uh, the line in that, and I don't know the answers because I don't know the question. The that bit is brilliant. That it's probably like leading you up to the just, chorus. Fantastic. Fantastic. Superb. We've got Communards. There's more to love than Boy Meets Girl. Uh, this was Communards' last single. 
Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Jimmy Somerville, Richard Coles. I mean, it's great. Just just a really good pop song, I suppose. But again, didn't didn't particularly trouble the charts. Number 20. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because the chorus, you know, is a great chorus, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, thinking of their, you know, their covers, you know, kind of it's it's kind of funny thinking of don't leave me this way and um never can say goodbye isn't it yeah just thinking of how massive they were i always could have looking back at those now and see the top of the pop performances i was think you know when you started off you did this small town boy one of the greatest british singles ever released which is so you know it's been so influential in sound that riff um you know and um obviously you know the lyrical content and the video and mm. you know it could have you gone to do these you know fantastic disco singles kind of but part of me is kind of almost like you know, um, you know, obviously I know they still did other songs kind of that were serious, like that, um, oh, what's it called? Is it for a friend? Or, um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they did some stuff, but I kind of wish they could have, so could, you know, could still have big hits with, you know, political songs. But, you know, then again, you know, why should they have to always do political, you know, things that are slight political, you know, doing a big, big gay anthem banger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in exactly. its own way. And, um, you know, everybody's got to love the, you know, career trajectory of Richard Coles. I went to a, um, a, a publishing thing just before Christmas and I was in a room uh, with Richard Coles who has been published by a different imprint of the same publishers as me and I was very excited and mm. really wanted to go and you know touch the hem of his vicar uh, robes and I didn't <laughs> <laughs> but um, my, my dream would be to talk about my book on Saturday Live with Richard Coles and oh, just talk yeah. about the communards because what a lovely man what a lovely man oh surely that's got to happen soon yeah. Oh, we've got to be uh, my new BFF. Absolutely. I should say, though, Jimmy Somerville, one of the greatest British soul voices. Definitely. People don't really talk about him in that kind of canon, you know, just think about his his vocals on this, you know, mm-hmm. his, uh, you know, let alone his vocals on Small Town Boy, you know, just fantastic. What a voice. Jermaine Stewart and Get Lucky. Good as hearing about what happened to him as well. I know, Goodness. I know. And, really I, sad story, I hadn't realised. And I didn't know until we did the podcast with Mark, actually. Just, yeah, such a such a sad story. What I didn't know about um, Jermaine Stewart, actually, he was nearly in Shalimar. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which... Fantastic. It's funny, though, the kind of production of this. And if you look at the video to this, it's got this really West Side Story vibe yeah. going on, you know, and there's obviously a lot of money thrown at him. He, yeah. You know, good voice and everything. He just... Um... It was Mikey Craig from Culture Club that had actually talent spotted him when he was oh, um, right. here. And he was... And he, I mean, I think Jermaine Stewart did a lot of backing vocal work over the years um, including stuff for Culture Club that actually got him his record deal you know so um, and we finish off with what was the number oh. one single when the album was released it's Glenn Medeiros you almost wonder why they didn't put this as track one side one because it's, it's the big, it's a big ballad big song for me this was properly I feel confused because Glenn Medeiros is this beautiful man singing to me how he's <laughs> nothing's going to change his love for me and he was very young again he was like 17, 18 or something mm. I remember him kind of um, you know in Smash Hits a lot and I remember he was from Hawaii I always remember that yeah, and um, yeah I was just reading about it today kind of just about how he'd released a song on a little independent label and kind of um, it's a George Benson song which I didn't know when I no, looked at George know Benson either. song no. and you know it isn't that different and George no. Benson sings it brilliantly but um, there was a George Benson song that um, Whitney Houston had a hit with um, The Greatest Love of All somebody yeah. suggested you know why don't you do this because you know she did alright <laughs> you could yeah. do alright but um <laughs> Oh, I just remember the video and everything. Um, but my my mum and um dad, kind of my second dad, um, got married in March 1989 and had a video made. You know, in the, which in those days was you know a big endeavour. You know, get mm. you to get 
you've got a person in with a proper big bulky camcorder and all that filming us all you know before and after and all this stuff and then later you know putting music over the top I'm sure rights wise it wasn't <laughs> you know this little local bloke in Gowerton Swansea with a camera or something when my mum and dad walked down the aisle and stand at the front of the chapel um on the way out and kiss as they kissed this kind of video engineer has got nothing's gonna change my love for you so whenever I hear it I think of my mum and dad getting married it's really oh, sweet that's lovely. Um, I don't think it's what they had in mind you know necessarily <laughs> I don't I don't think they thought it was awful and when they when their car's going off to the receptionist never gonna give you <laughs> it's hilarious but um, I love this it's so syrupy and dreadful in so many respects but I you know, the 10-year-old me is still completely within it. I've got so many songs like that. Just Another Day by John Cicada. That's another yeah. song like that where I'm just like, oh, it's love and romance. And it's like pop songs let you test out, you know, your emotions and your feelings yeah. and in this sort of safe little bubble. It's quite lovely. <laughs> Enjoy this trip. Enjoy this trip. We have to say, first of all, Side 4 of Now 11 is the side of the album. Definitely. Side 4 of Now 12 is almost there, but Given there's still that some... this is the second summer of love, and it's the big summer where house music is taking over, the only real example of it is theme from S Express. S Express. S Express. Yeah. You know, and I keep saying them the best songs ever. You know, my list of the best songs ever is obviously really long. <laughs> <laughs> but this... It never, ever dates. It never gets worse. It always sounds completely fresh. It's absolutely brilliant. Ian Wade, who you've had on this brilliant mm. show before, Ian Wade and I used to DJ together in London at um, Big Fish, Little Fish. Yeah. Um, and Ian and I, we'd, we'd dress up. We'd wear light-up glasses like Orbital <laughs> that I bought off the internet. Capes. Um, you know, we told ourselves this because it's a kid's disco, but basically we were just dressing up. And we'd always play loads of this period of house music and we'd always play a theme from S Express. Yeah. And uh, this is another thing I write about in my book, the kind of like, I was really into house music as a 10-year-old, you know, not from a position of, you know, taking a load of ease, obviously, and go to a, <laughs> to a rave on the N25. But, you know, just the playfulness of yeah. those records. And so many of them, it was sampling kids' records and cartoons and films. And you have that and this and all the different elements, you know, spliced together. And it's... um. Oh, it's just so fantastic. My favourite thing to do is to go and look at uh, the Who Sampled website, records like this in like Countdown the 37 <laughs> samples and let's play the little YouTube clips. It's just wonderful. They did loads of great stuff. and The record label Rhythm King that were putting all these records out, yeah. like putting out like Yaz, Plastic Population and uh, Beat This by Bomb the Bass and then this. It was just this run of... Again, that very British way of taking something and making it our own. Um, and of course, at the time, I, I didn't know till later on that this was Rolls Royce and it was pulling from this and it was pulling from that. Yeah. And and it was just that wonderful. But again, Mark Moore, Pascal Gabriel, pulling that together into this thing. It was just amazing. Um, they looked 1990s, didn't they, as well? Yes. They, that, was, that was the start of the 1990s was Theme from S Express. It was. On top of the was. pops. And this gaggle of people together... Yeah, you know, and it's got the same thing as Nana Cherry. This, you know, they they've got ass too, but it's colourful and it's yeah. playful. Yeah, it's just wonderful. Um, Rhythm King Records. I've got to know Adele Nozadar a bit, who was one of the team behind Rhythm King, because um, she lives near me. She's a forager now. She writes amazing books about foraging. Oh wow! <laughs> she moved to Wales in the mid nineteen nineties and kind of you know lives in the middle of the countryside. And um, yeah, she's ace. But kind of um, it's so funny thinking of her then and 
you know, mm. watching Top of Pops reruns. And then she's like in the corner, you know, miming playing on a bass guitar or something. <laughs> it's just Mark from the back. Mark from S Express follows me on Instagram, which is, makes me very, very excited. <laughs> oh, but I don't yeah. know what he makes of it, but um, what a man. What a great guy. <laughs> so we've got Push It by Salt and Pepper, uh, first which of all. is amazing. Which, which is just awesome. Cheryl James, Sandra Denton, and Deidre Roper. That's Salt Amazing. and Pepper and Spinderella. What I'd forgotten was that they were part of the Nelson Mandela concert in that summer because they performed this at that. And I think that helped to kind of catapult this song into the charts. Um, yeah, I remember that concert. I, rem- I remember, well, I say I remember it. I kind of, I, I haven't actually checked it, it was televised, but I remember the seeing them on TV and Tracy Chapman at that as well. Yeah. I remember seeing- yeah, because I, I remember finding out about Tracy Chapman on, you know, kind of um, through some big concert on TV as well. Yeah, I've I've very quickly looked this up. Yes, she sang Fast Car on it yeah. as well. And I remember those two songs kind of, you know, just they sound like nothing no. I'd ever heard before. No. And Push It is a song that that's one of my DJ set list ones. That always gets played. All, <laughs> but, it, but it always wins as well. That's one of those songs that you still absolutely could play and get away with. And it still works. It hasn't dated. Yeah. It's the first time I, bec- well... I think it's not the first time I heard the Kinks, but there's that brilliant middle, oh, bit yeah. in the middle where they start quoting the lyrics from "You Got Me." Yeah, and they were really, they really loved '60s stuff because they obviously yeah. did a cover of "Twist and Shout" shortly after That's as well. Right. But when I first heard the Kinks, I was like, "This rings a bell. This song rings a bell somehow." And yeah. then it suddenly hit me that it was like, "Oh, Salt and Pepper," <laughs> and <laughs> which I, is kind of backwards way of finding it out. But I quite yeah. like that. And then hip hop moves on. We've got Derek B. by Jung Brother. I didn't know Derek B. had died. Yeah, he was really young, forty-four. Yeah. He was actually the first British rapper. On top of the pops, he was one of the first British yeah. rappers in Smash Hits. Didn't also know that he co-wrote the Anfield rap for Liverpool. What a team! I guess he wasn't rated as much because he, you know, maybe rapped in an American accent. And we've got so used to British people rapping in their yeah. own accents, or you know, ver- you know, versions of their own accents anyway. So but you were so. talking earlier about samples, which is wonderful. <laughs> Let's take twenty-three James Brown songs. And get cold cut to squash them into four minutes. And you've got the payback mix by James Brown. I can't quite work out what I think of this. I think it's quite audacious. <laughs> I couldn't, this is another one I couldn't really remember. You know, obviously, James Brown samples in dance tracks, obviously, you know, mm. the funky drummer and all this kind of stuff. You know, you know that. But um, it's quite fun, isn't it? It's almost a bit like cold cut showing off and saying, look what we can do. They were busy boys. They were, they were they had they had the time. You know, obviously we haven't got. I think Yaz is yeah. Yaz is now thirteen, isn't it? Yaz is now thirteen. It's, yeah. It's funny because this album comes out in July, and Yaz was number one in the August. So I know, I they know. obviously put that a bit retrospectively. But um, yeah. But um, the only way is up is uh, leagues above. But absolutely. With Rose Royce at the beginning of side four, as sampled in S Express, and record company thought, hang on, we can cash in on that car wash back out. <laughs> Is that why it was? Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not that I'm cynical or anything, but... Uh, <laughs> and actually, Is It Love You're After, which is the sample for S-Express, was on the B-side. Yeah. So they were they were pushing this, to be honest. Ah, uh, right. Oh, you see, so that was it. This whole image of car washes for me. Car wash was something that you drove through. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly wasn't this this kind of, you know, this only now you realise that there's this whole film around car washes that were quite sexy, glamorous, fun places to be in. Car yes, wash was just yeah. something that you just drove through on a Saturday afternoon. And this idea that if you fill up, you don't have to pay. Whoa, that's, that's a whole new <laughs> it's a whole new concept to me. It definitely didn't work in our in our town. But I think that, that period, like the late 80s, I remember even as a kid thinking, 
there are all these old songs out mm. all the time. Why is that? You know, I remember when Here and Heavy, He's My Brother was number one for ages and that spate of songs on adverts getting mm. to number one kicked off and then you had that through to, you know, the early 90s with Should I Stay, Should I Go and yeah. all the Coca-Cola songs getting to number one. And I, I was I was bored of that. <laughs> so that's a lesson, you know. Yeah. They're not Obviously, the flip side of that, you get the, you know, the Jive Bunny you know stuff and all that you know let's use the amazing technology that's been available to make these incredible house records and use them to i know they really upset me they remind me of um the horrors of um school discos actually i've written a bit about junior school discos in my book and i just just traumatic memories of how awful they were apart from dance to come on eileen at the end which i did Mm. enjoy but yeah it was all jive oh jive bunny it's just so dreadful makes me angry (laughs) i know it's just yeah it's terrible um so keeping the car theme going natalie cole pink cadillac i had no concept this was a bruce springsteen song in 1988 yeah Yeah. i love the original of this actually it's really Mm. it's again i knew the natalie cole before the springsteen um yeah, because apparently Bette Midler tried to do a version of it, according to Wikipedia. Well, I haven't gone further than that. I did try and look around the edits of it. The fact it says Springsteen vetoed the first attempt by a female singer to release a version of it, it said. And I thought, he wouldn't have vetoed it. No, uh, why don't, didn't he? Don't you can't veto Bette Midler. No. She does what she blooming likes. <laughs> I think this is Wikipedia. Need yeah, nonsense. Checked. I didn't kind of go further with that one, so I must find out. But um, yeah, this is quite fun, isn't it? Yeah, works quite well. Now, Jelly Bean and Adele Bertai, just a mirage. We talked to her about Madonna not being around, but actually there was quite a lot of Madonna sound-alikes. Yeah, Jelly Bean getting all the girls who were Madonna. Yeah. Kind of, uh, I used to think of him when I was going, he must be really bitter. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> his old girlfriend's gone off and did this stuff. But the singer on this... Um, I did do a bit of digging on this because Adele Bertai, well, obviously Madonna comes from mm. that like, turn of the 70s, 80s period where really interesting stuff's going on in New York, you know, kind of in the underground and no wave bands and stuff like that. Adele Bertai was a member of this band called The Bloods. And there's a great song by them called Button Up that's on this soul jazz compilation of New York music. Oh. It's really, really fantastic. You know, that really edgy post-punk stuff. And you know, kind of reading around, you know, she was in James Chance and the Contortions and all these kind of yeah. really edgy, scrunky punky, bands. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this, you know, this is only like eight years later. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember thinking this was very grown up sounding. I had a category of songs that were, you know, very grown up. You know, Careless Whisper was in this category. Mm. You know, it was. It kind of sounded a bit like dance music for adults. It didn't really sound yeah. like dance music for, for, for us, basically. A bit too sophisti dance. Let's make a new word. <laughs> it was sophisti dance. My fact, we mentioned Thomas Dolby earlier. Adele Bertai was the female singer on Hyperactive. Oh, really? And there's a great clip of her on YouTube on Whistle Test, singing it with Thomas Dolby. And she hits all those high notes. <laughs> Uh, oh, hyperactive and she went on to tour with Tears for Fears as well so well done Adele Bertai she could have been Madonna but she ended up doing lots of odd things as well um, apparently was a personal assistant to Brian Eno at one point just oh that's good I always think there's a great concept about last song side four on now albums because there's always a kind of <laughs> right <laughs> so we've got Will Downing and I love Supreme uh, yeah, so this is obviously a cover of... Well, is it a cover of John Coltrane? I don't even know if it is a cover. Um, I was list- I listened to John Coltrane on my other half is a massive jazz head and um, I was like, I know I love Supreme and it sort of approximates a bit of it, but not really. It kind of, you no. know, I just think of people wearing, you know, um, suits that are slightly too big and... Uh, Sophisti dance. 
Sylvester, Sylvester dance, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's kind of another one. It's a little bit, you know, it was for grown-ups. Late 80s, I my idea of grown-ups were like people who went to um oh, what was the name of the wine bar in Eastenders? I can't remember. Wilmot Brown. Dagmar. Was it oh, the Dagmar? Dagmar. Wilmot Brown. I was called, yeah, we'd call Wil- it Wilmot Browns, because that'd be like, oh, that sounds like a pub. But yeah, was the, the Dagmar. Dagmar. The Dagmar. Like, but so it I, was kind of like yeah. music that would play in was it the Dagmar? Yeah. I, I guess I couldn't really work it out in my head as a child what kind of sort of Thatcherite money-grabbing characters were, but um, it was kind of, you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's music for blokes with massive mobile phones, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, yeah. expensive suits that don't really fit them. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, the future Tory cabinet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just, just I do not like. <laughs> just, just while we rip apart Will Downing a bit more, <laughs> I, went on, I went on to his website. His distinctive baritone voice has resonated in the hearts of women worldwide. Ooh. If you like Will Downing, go and listen to John Coltrane, everybody. Yeah, we have reached the end of now twelve. Ah, uh, what, what a record! <laughs> I mean, what, what a record! It's a pretty good year for now, nineteen eighty-eight. When you think about it, it is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was really lovely going back through this and thinking of how there are lots of songs on this record that still absolutely transport me and absolutely, you know, still get me. Whether that be Banana Armor and Sabrina, <laughs> or Salt and Pepper and S Express, you know, um. You know, Maxi Priest, Climby Fisher. But there will be you know, forgettable songs by massive stars like Elton John and there will be surprises like Voice of the Beehive. You know, it's kind of the way pop music is. Light and shade, you know, ups and downs. It's all of it. <laughs> so not to undo Lauren on Radio 4, but which of these tracks would you take with you? <laughs> oh, how many do, How many can I pick? Which ones jump you out know, then? Theme from S Express and Push It. Yeah. Definitely, mm-hmm. you know. Um, That's a great no double actually on there. I would definitely play those two, yeah. out, and I indeed yeah. I have. And and also there are songs I've, you know, I, I've got to that stage of parenthood now that, well, actually, what am I saying? I've I've always been in this stage of parenthood, playing my son bits of you know records. Like you know, he knows "Wake Me Up Before You Go" go really well. <laughs> he knows, um, he knows "Push It." He knows. Um, you know, could have so many songs, but, you know, playing the stuff like this to him and he would love, you know, he he enjoys it. And it's kind of, I think that says something about songs that, I guess even though they, they were very much in their times, you know, kind of, it was rap kind of taking off and kind of becoming this worldwide thing or technology that enabled house music to work taking off and becoming this thing. There's a sort of energy in those tracks, isn't there, that absolutely translates still. And a sort of an edge to them as well. There's still Salt and Pepper sent out there as a rap group to me, you know, kind of really bold and really fun. And S Express have just got this anarchic, you know, throwing it all together, but it really working brilliantly and having the attitude. And yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, I'd take those two and play them to death. Is there anything missing? Yes. <laughs> all the ones that are on the hit track. <laughs> all the ones. So this is what we would say. All the ones on the hits album. To be honest, the song I could have wished was on here from that time. Actually, it's on, it's on hits, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm not scared by Eight Wonder because oh. that is that is a song from that period that um, oh, I absolutely I absolutely love. And you know, I you know I could basically just DJ playing songs from him this year. <laughs> you know, um, I know we got Yaz coming later, but there's there's so many in the mix that um, you could throw in. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, um, sorry, I've, met, I've mentioned one of hits. That feels wrong. Ah, uh, it's okay. No, it's okay. We've made our peace with hits now on this podcast because because <laughs> it's the yin and yang. They must they must coexist. To be honest, for some reason, "Heart" by the Pet Shop Boys isn't on here, and I don't know why. Oh um, gosh, yeah. Because that had been a big number one in the spring. Yeah. Um, and the Pet Shop Boys are now always coexisted very well together. Yeah. Don't know, I, I don't know why. Heart, I, I think 
Heart is up there. It's one of my favourite Pet Shop Boys songs as well. Kind yeah. of really underrated, I think. Heart at the, at the beginning of that album would have been just superb. I think there should be a few more, you know, bits of rap or house on there as well, I guess. Oh, yeah. So, if so this is We Papa Girl Rappers time, isn't it? Surely they mm-hmm. should have been put on there, kind of yeah. one of their early songs. And, that would um, be quite good. No, I, that, that, that will do me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another 88, Everything But The Girl. I don't yes. want to talk about it. That's a big oh. summer 88 song. And that is Sophisticop done brilliantly. Yes, that's done proper Sophisticop. Yeah. Will Downing. Sophisticop <laughs> dance. <laughs> Here we go. Jude, thank you so much for joining us here on the Back to Now podcast and taking us back to the lovely summer of 1988. Oh, thank you so much. I I know I've wanged on about <laughs> it for so, much, so long. That was loads of fun. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to just talk about a record that somebody else loves, but from completely different, you know, not completely different perspective, because we're all sort of on the same page, aren't we, in some respects, but... Um, Kind of love you to think of a couple of years difference between the two of us and like yeah. different stages of our lives and how we responded to certain songs and you know even though I don't want to be ten again I really don't want to be ten again but it's quite nice thinking of how songs acted as these really important things in my life at that point and um, yeah and even and even some of the terrible ones as well and that we can look back now and actually have those similar but different memories as well. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And good luck with the book. I have no doubt it's going to be a massive, massive success. Um, oh. But thank you so much for uh, not just joining us here, but also reminding us about the importance of music and how it can play such a big part in our lives. Oh, you're very welcome. I hope you really enjoy it. 